This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to DVDNA, The Walking Dead, Season 11, Episode 13, Warlords. My name's Adam and as ever I'm here with Damo. Hello. And Neil. Stay safe, guys. So, Warlords, I thought this was a cracking episode. What did you guys make of it? I completely agree. I really liked this episode. We got a new villain, if only for one episode, who who reminded me a lot of Pope. And also a little bit of the governor with the heads. And really enjoyed it. Liked a lot of it. I'm not entirely sure about the whole Carlson stuff. That felt a little bit cheap. What didn't you like about him? Uh, it was all just... I, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of flashbacks to get over dodgy choices in narrative <laughs> structure. And I feel like it suffered a little bit from that. Oh, let's have something crazy happen. How are we going to explain it? Oh, just a really clumsy flashback in two minutes' time. <laughs> OK, well, we, well, maybe we'll go through the episode. We can talk about those those flashback moments. I did think it was an interesting choice to do that narrative format. It seems to be a big trend at the moment in TV in a lot of different ways, jumping around in time. I think we have to go through this almost scene by scene, given the nature of the, the flashbacks and how it all transpired. But we start off the episode at the hilltop. We get Elijah doing his best Kevin Costner, the arrow flying through the air. And he's got some competition going with Marco there. They've got a Lego Last Gimli situation going on, counting how many kills they, they make. Um, Just like us with our soup steak. Yeah, very much so. And then it turns out Lydia's leaving. She's off. And we get a little sense of potential romance between Lydia and Elijah, which I thought was was quite interesting. Are we shipping that couple? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the the score Elijah's really interested in, right? Well, Marco tells him to shoot his shot. Well, you can't get any more direct um, challenge than that. And then we get this rider coming along who turns out to be, well, we later learn is Jesse. We don't know this at, at the start of the episode, but he's been shot, falls off his horse, mumbled something about devils and liars before he expires. That rhymed. Mm, well done. It was classic. Messenger turns up, gives a half-garbled answer and then dies. Oh no, we don't know anything. Let's move on with the story. <laughs> And Lydia had a map, didn't she? She'd been given a map to a Commonwealth checkpoint by Maggie. The Commonwealth had left those behind when they visited the the hilltop. And I couldn't really tell because it was covered in so much blood, but it felt like Jesse had a similar map. That was why we saw Lydia's map, so that we knew that it wasn't necessarily a safe thing to do to go to the checkpoint. And then we get the um, opening credits, and then we discover that because of the map and the fact that hilltop is marked on the map, that someone they knew had sent this chap to them their conversation their discussion was about whether they go out to try and find out what had happened to this guy or whether they just leave it and maggie's less keen she thinks it might be a trap and we get herschel arriving to give her a reminder of what she's risking in that chat georgie gets mentioned we haven't heard about her in so long we hear about old georgie i was i was hoping we might get a little bit more about what the deal is with those uh, who seem to be completely forgotten about but I enjoyed that. We can't do it. We're just stretched thin. We can't go. We absolutely cannot go. And then five minutes later, all right, I'll come with you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we will see Georgie again. It might be in a Rick Grimes film. It might be in a spin-off. 
we'll come to spin-offs later. But I think we haven't had the last of Georgie. I hope so. I thought she was an interesting character. So they're driving along in the car and uh, Maggie tells this story about Herschel and the farm, her dad Herschel rather than her son Herschel, and these developers who wanted to buy the farm. There, there was a drought and they leaving them food and stuff for the animals, but Herschel refused to touch it, just left it there to rot so that the developers knew that they weren't interested. And the kind of point of the story was that eventually the drought ended and they they still had their farm. They hadn't sold out. Lydia's, well, she was on her way out to the Commonwealth before this rider showed up. So she's arguing the case against Maggie. And it feels like, you know, there's this generational divide between Maggie and the younger occupants of the car, Lydia and Elijah. And Elijah will not be drawn either side. Yeah, he's got quite strong allegiances to Maggie, hasn't he? But clearly fancies mm-hmm. Lydia. So poor chaps in a, in a tricky situation in the back of the car. <laughs> Oh no, my mum and my girlfriend are arguing. (laughs) (laughs) And then we see something we've not seen before, but three walkers in Commonwealth armour. When you consider how well covered they are in that armour, it was quite concerning to see that. I thought that was really cool. I mean, the logic is still there within this universe. You don't have to have been bit by a walker to turn into a walker. If you die, you become a walker. So... That kind of made sense. And yeah, visually, that was certainly, yeah, both concerning and exciting. I don't think that's the last time we're going to see Trooper Zombies. I think that's going to become a a recurring theme, especially as the rebellion takes its momentum. And also think about it. If they die without their, their helmets being smashed, which is what we've seen so far, then it's going to make it more difficult to kill them as zombies. Yeah, our team of survivors managed it fairly well. They all took one out each, didn't they? So those that have predicted Maggie and Lydia as killers for this episode scored a point for those ones. And then Maggie gets the binoculars out and sees Aaron running down the road towards her. And then we cut back from that. So that's the end of that chunk. How are we feeling at that point? Are we just confused, concerned, excited? Interested. So far, so peaked. And then we get uh, Aaron again, but this time visiting Father Gabriel's church. His church in the Commonwealth, we get to see Father Gabriel at work. And I thought doing a pretty good job of preaching to his congregation, telling the story about a father and a son. It was really largely around forgiveness, about being lost and now found, about being dead and, and now being alive. And then he talks about, he asked everyone in the congregation to sit next to a stranger. So he talks about the fact that all of us have sinned and that out there, whilst we were fighting for our lives, we relied on strangers. And why should it be any different now that we are safe within the Commonwealth walls? All of us have sinned. But Father Gabe, some of you have sinned more than others. (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot of people in Commonwealth that haven't been anywhere near as prodigious in their killing as Father Gabe. Well, Father Gabe's relationship with God is a bit like Kanye and Kim Kardashian. One minute's on, one minute's off. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's uh, he tells Aaron that he's hearing God again, that he's got his faith back. Which is good, but something I noticed this time, Father Gabe is also looking quite gaunt. I don't know if anyone else noticed that. I don't know if it was because he was he was dressed in such a manner that was flattering to his physique, but he looked significantly slimmer than he had done previously. Well, I guess he gets premium membership at the Commonwealth Gym. Possibly. I mean, that would explain that. 
Um, I think it's also convenient that Father Gabe is considered a religious person, therefore the perfect person to send out to Riverbend with Aaron. I do think it's interesting, just going back to the fact that he's found his faith again and that his whole story arc was going around this loss of faith and obviously there was the conflict with the Reapers that would have had a, an impact on that. But didn't Aaron have a story arc as well where he was losing the plot? I'm sure there was an episode fairly recently with him having this dream and all of the different villains and people they'd come up against were attacking him and he woke up from this dream and it felt like he was going down this road of, of just losing it completely. And I can't remember whether anything happened to change or resolve that, but it does feel like there's been a Commonwealth reset button on some of these characters and that Aaron and Gabriel have come back from where they were to perhaps a previous state where they were a bit more capable and sane. Well, I think wanting to be a cynical Sandra, I think that whole dream that Aaron had was just served the purpose of a shock open before the, the opening credits and then was never really dealt with again. I loved both Gabriel and Aaron in this episode. I'm really turning the corner on Father Gabriel. He's becoming one of my favourite characters in the show. But it does make sense. You know, we all have good days and bad days and we all have periods of our life where we're struggling and other periods where suddenly you're behind some nice safe walls and you've got food to eat and obviously things are going to be a bit rosier after that. Damo, are you still desperate for a Father Gabe death? Yeah, I haven't turned the corner on Father Gabe. I mean, he's now on one for me. It's just too long a history. Same with Eugene. I don't know what those characters can do for me to be like, okay, fine. I can overlook all the nonsense that's meant you've somehow survived this long. I'm a big fan of the actor that plays Father Gabe. I'm not a fan of the character. So where, where's one on the corner? Oh, nice. Sorry. <laughs> Mixed metaphors threw me there. Yeah. <clears throat> it's there. <laughs> it's before the corner, I'm guessing. It's just next to number three because two's on the other side of the road. There you go. There you go, Adam. Thank you. We've gone back in time and uh, it turns out that Aaron's part of this immigration initiative of the Commonwealth. That's his role. And he was always someone who, when we first met Aaron, was someone who would go out and find people for Alexandria. They've been scouting this group of about 40 people who have this religious, um, well, they've certainly they've got a big cross on the front of their building drawn in blood. They seem to be friendly, and so they're going to go out there and they're going to take Father Gabriel with them because of this religious connection. And then we meet Carlson. Did you recognise Carlson, Damo? We, we've seen him before in the show, right? No, the actor, I mean. Yeah. We I did recognise the actor, but I don't know what from. So we had the Poppy Fields a couple of episodes ago from the Ozark. And now we've got Roy Petty, FBI agent Roy Petty from the Ozark, who's obviously come back from the dead, minor spoiler there for the Ozark, rather fittingly for this show, and is now part of the Commonwealth, and he's grown a beard. We also meet Jesse, and I didn't clock at the time, uh, it took me sort of until deep into the episode for me to realise that Jesse, when we met him, was the kid who had been on the horse at the hilltop. And Carlson's, he's peculiar. He's a little bit odd. He's quite buzzed and excited about this mission that they're going on. They ask him how many people he's found before, and he says only four, and they're going in to try and uh, persuade a group of 40 people. This goes back to the choice of narrative structure for the episode, because it allows, I guess, a twist and then a reveal when Carlson suddenly turns 
initially quakes and says, please don't kill, please don't kill, to Ian, um, the, the leader of Riverbend. But then all of a sudden he turns ninja and he's amazingly competent. And it's only afterwards, with a flashback, that we find out the justification for how that can be believable. Yeah, so Carlson was an ex-CIA operative. And uh, assassin. And assassin, yeah. Well, Lance says he needs him as an assassin, doesn't he, later on? But that he's he's retired and he's sober now and he's clearly got some demons, Carlson. What we also find out in that scene is that Lance had need of his services prior to the fall of society. So we're seeing again this this kind of network of people from before holding on to the power that they had once, you know, the apocalypse had happened. Yeah, that's a really good way of wording it. And um, obviously the CIA doesn't exist now, or maybe it will do in any of the spin-offs. You're absolutely right. And it's also really clear that the Commonwealth are desperate for supplies, not just food, but also ammo. And that Lance is trying to keep that desperateness away from Milton. Yeah, he talks about, in that conversation between Lance and Carson, he talks about that other thing that he's got going on and that these guns and ammo were being used for that other thing. He also refers to the Hicks in Virginia. So we learn that he's completely bullshit in terms of supporting Alexandria and the Hilltop and Oceanside. He talks about Gabriel and Aaron falling in line once they find out the truth, which they'll inevitably do during this mission. And then what's interesting is just before Carlson goes full CIA, Aaron's there showing all the information, showing all these pictures on an iPhone. Is this the first time we've seen a mobile phone in The Walking Dead? That's a really good spot, Damo. That hadn't even occurred to me. But I, I think you could be right there. Yeah, I think I am. <laughs> uh, no, because I, I just thought, wait a second. So what? So they have this phone that they carry around for pictures, but for some reason they don't have the cellular networks. Somehow the Commonwealth couldn't do that, but they still have mobile phones to take pictures as evidence. I thought that was curious. Yeah, as long as you've got power to charge your mobile phone, yep. you don't. You know, you can take the SIM card out and still use it as a camera, can't you? Oh, I know, but if they have that capability, this, you know, and the same with Georgie and all these manuals and these ways of doing things as they were in the olden times, surely if you're trying to set up a network of satellite places and you have the ability to do it, which they clearly would have, would you not have a cellular network up and going? I'm not well, saying they need the 4G. But the thing is, do they still have satellites? Have the zombies moved space and close down all those satellites true but they could still do, they could still do it without the satellites right i'm just talking about phone calls like i said they don't need to be downloading torrents on the fly you just need to be able to text and call each other that's towers that's not satellites the zombies network is is walk walk <laughs> <laughs> nice Oh, you're on fire. So we have jumped ahead a bit because the Lance conversation comes a bit later, but Gabriel and Aaron aren't keen on going to this place. The place doesn't look friendly. And uh, Gabriel says, I, I think the best line of the episode, your plan is shit and I don't want to die. <laughs> they go along with it. Gabriel takes his collar off and they meet this woman with a scythe. 
that we haven't seen a scythe before, have we, as a weapon in The Walking Dead? I was hopeful that we'd see more of her and perhaps the scythe in action. But they get their weapons taken off them. Aaron gets to keep his arm because it's a hassle taking it off. And then they get locked in to the building. And there's a really spooky moment where they go down to the last door on the right. Lots of spooky music, lots of people waiting and figures in rooms um, and then they meet Ian which is not you know the most foreboding <laughs> name for a villain <laughs> but he's quite keen to know whether the Commonwealth have hookers gambling and addicts yeah I mean he's he, a very two-dimensional villain and like I've said before very similar to Pope but I did actually like with the the heads off in the bookshelves that kind of nod to Woodfield and the governor and I also didn't think he was that insane as a villain you know he was pretty much i mean the argument of of negan just looking after his people you know he talks about skulls on the shelf being raiders and murderers rapists and cannibals these wolves in sheep's clothing so he was definitely a strong leader and and was kind of being argued round um by aaron to sort of considering what they were talking about or at least letting them go well it looked like he was going to let them go before he was assassinated by our ex-CIA Carlson. So, I mean, potentially, if if he was portrayed in a different light, he could be seen as, as you say, a, a good leader who was literally looking out for well, his flock. He doesn't quite get killed at that point, does he? He's winged then, and, and, and Carlson kills the other guards and then heads out to deal with a few more. This was the other thing I meant to say about the Lance thing, is that there's a, the guns and ammo that they were taking off to do the other thing they thought had been stolen by... Ian and his people, and that's why they were going there in the first place. And also, it becomes quite clear, and I know we're slightly jumping here, but it becomes quite clear that nobody knows about these guns. There's no proof that they took the guns, and I wonder whether whoever did take the guns will be revealed in a future episode. Yeah, that was definitely a major question for me after the episode, is who who did take these guns? Because Ian's story was that they found the wagon or whatever it was with the guns on, and uh, they'd already been taken. And that's why there were tracks going from that wagon back to their their building. You know, it's called Warlords. Who is the Warlord? Because I think what the episode makes quite clear is that it's the Commonwealth who are Warlords, not Ian and not Riverbend. It, it seems to be that Lance is definitely a, a Warlord, and that he is doing stuff behind Pamela Milton's back. And whatever it is that he's up to requires... A large amount of guns and, and ammunition. I mean, the other warlord, of course, we'll come on to shortly. The Perhaps the biggest warlord of The Walking Dead history is, is our good friend Negan. Let's just get to that point then. So we find that Ian's still alive and is being questioned by Carlson, being interrogated. Gabriel tries to step in and gets cuffed, gets put into handcuffs. And then uh, again, pleading not guilty on the guns. They don't have the guns. And eventually... Carson just gets fed up and shoots him and then starts kicking him. Definitely a little bit deranged, our good friend Carson. But also that was quite interesting because most assassins and certainly, well, this is just my interpretation and view of like people who work for the CIA and our assassins. It's not a personal thing and emotions don't get involved, whereas that kicking was very emotional and felt very personal. And maybe that was purely for the benefit of making Carson clearly an evil person within the narrative. I read that, that there was more to it than just being given a mission. 
you know, much like someone else that we've been talking about on another podcast, the Peaky Blinders, Carlson's hasn't had a drink. And I think it might have been four years, he said, which would be the same yeah. as Tommy. In order to stare down Lance, he takes a drop and he rubs it on his lips and then he starts doing it. So I think that's it, right? He's There's no control anymore. He's back into his addiction. And I guess that is supposed to mirror his bloodlust and his lack of control, which is why he goes haywire on a dead Ian. But I mean, all I've got is... In my notes, all this Carlson stuff is so lame. <laughs> I was, I wasn't, I didn't buy him, to be honest. I don't know what it is. At the moment, I don't buy Carlson as that. I just find him a bit of an annoying wanker. There was one moment where I wondered whether Carlson might be someone who we would see joining our survivors at some point down the road. But I think by the end of the episode, I was, I, I'd veered off that as a, as a thing that might happen. Because, yeah, he's, he's definitely a few planks short of a full deck. I'm actually surprised that he survived the episode. I kind of felt like he was an narrative device. But who knows, maybe he'll be more integral to, well, certainly the plot leading up to the end of this Section B certainly adds another name to our options for the old <laughs> which we'll get onto shortly. Um, so Jesse escapes, gets shot. Aaron takes out the guard, and then there's a call from inside the building, and they run in and they find that Father Gabriel has somehow escaped from his cuffs and taken out a guard, which is pretty impressive ninja-like activity from Father Gabriel. I was like, "What? How's that happened?" But fortunately, we had another flashback to explain all and it was Negan yeah no that was great I loved it when Negan came back he'd said to Maggie that he was leaving to work by himself to you know to work independently now we find out that he's actually found another group he likes his groups whether it be saviors whisperers he likes being part of a group so he's a joiner, um, he's a joiner. yeah He's the sort of person, you know, in the, the first week of university, Freshers' Fair, would be, would be signing up to every society. I agree. I completely agree. And he'll be looking for the cool kids and he'll be making sure that socially he's one of the top dogs. We also see that he's with the mysterious lady, Negan. He is a player. <laughs> right? Do you well, think, I took it that they were romantically linked. Well, he's missing his harem. We know Negan likes some lady action. Some mysterious lady was Annie, and they send Jesse on the way to Maggie. Jesse gets sent off on a horse. Go go and find Maggie. Will look after you. Tell her that Aaron and Gabriel are in trouble because uh, Negan's found out that Aaron and Gabriel are, are in there. It's, it's Negan who rescues Father Gabriel, and then they they are they're holed up inside towards the end of the episode now. Negan and Annie and the rest of the survivors within this building, Father Gabriel, are all hiding. Again, we get the sort of, just tell them where the guns are. And they're like, we haven't got the guns. But yeah, I really enjoyed Annie's speech about not giving up. And we've survived this and we're a family and all the rest of it. I thought that kind of showed that, that within this group of people, there were some good people. I think it also really showed how the members of Alexandria and that's not just Aaron and Gabe, but clearly Maggie as well. Negan has a real affection and almost a parental feel or certainly a strong care for the members of Alexandria. 
which if you actually look back at his journey is really interesting because obviously they were his nemesis well as, as a group with Nick etc uh, with Rick etc I think it's really interesting that when all hope is lost it comes Negan and now Negan is very much I mean and it's been the same with the whisperers I think Negan's affections for the Alexander crew is um, it's really interesting. He would have much rather the Alexandrians all just bent the knee and joined him back then rather than going to war. What do you think, Damo, about Negan's reformation? Do you think he's changed his ways sufficiently? Is he just, just trying to survive? Is this just another way of him looking after number one? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. He's looking after number one. And this is in this world that he finds himself in. That's what it is. I mean, when we saw that flashback in um, the extra episodes in the last season, before all this, he was a bit of a bellend, but he wasn't an absolute psycho. And then he created the saviors as a way to survive. And that's it. Everything has always been about surviving for him. So I think he knew that he had to get away from Maggie. That's how he survives. We now find him, sorry, with these people in, in this building and he sees what's going on and he thinks, well, shit, how do I survive this? Because I want to be, possibly I want to be with Alice, but obviously Annie. she's, sorry, thank you. I want to be with Annie, but she's obviously linked to this building and the people inside that building. How do I mitigate that issue? I get Maggie because Maggie will always try and do the right thing. At the moment, I believe Maggie will do the right thing, so she'll come and save the day. Otherwise, I don't think we would have seen that happen. And it's worked, because by the end of the episode, we see Maggie and Lydia and Elijah and Aaron are in the building as well. So it's set up for us. We've got Carlson on the rooftop. He's just kicked off a couple of the the people because they, they wouldn't hand over the guns. And he sent his troops back into the building to go room by room and clear it out. I, I didn't I didn't like the fate of those residents, but I thought again, Walking Dead has found a new way of killing people. Like I don't think we've seen anyone pushed off a high building and splat before. And most of it was done through sound. I was impressed by that. I thought, great, you're still creating new ways for deaths in the same way that they've been, you know, constantly working on new ways of killing walkers or new walkers and of different types. This is obviously a double episode in that we're going to get the resolution to this story in the next episode. But I felt this episode was really tense throughout, was really gripping and exciting. And yeah, there was a lot I really enjoyed about it. Let's talk about the sweepstake then. There weren't very many deaths or kills even. So Damien and I both scored one each. From Maggie and Lydia's kills. So the scores on the doors now are Neil on 10, Damien on 13 and me on 20 with what have we got three episodes left to go now but still nobody's sort of really that far ahead still all to play for I think. Particularly um, with double points on episode 16. Indeed indeed. All to play for. Episode 14 is called The Rotten. Now I couldn't find a blurb or a synopsis for this episode anywhere online. Damien, you're first to predict then. Well, we don't have much information, as we said, so it's tricky, even going first. But what we've seen from the trailer is a continuation of the story inside the building. 
and I believe some action in the Commonwealth as well. So given that, I've gone for the safest option of Killer being Daryl. And my death is Coulson. I don't think he makes it out of this episode. He fucking best not, because what's the point? <laughs> Very good shout. I think we were both hoping you would not say Carlson, but um, I was convinced one of the two of you would, and I'm going last. And Neil, you're up next for your, your killer. Yeah, I had Carlson at the top of my list for death. Okay, so for killer, I'm stuck between two. I'm going to take a risk, and I'm going to go Aaron for Killer. He's had a very strong episode, and they don't often give him two in a row. But I have a feeling that Aaron for Killer. And then, yeah, I would have gone for Carlson for Death, but I'm going to go for Annie. Oh, nice. That was my second choice. I think Aaron's a fair shout. He's still got his mace hand there. That wasn't taken off him, so he's, you know, he's... Definitely capable. Yeah, there are a few options out there. I'm going to go with Mercer as my killer. Oh, I always thought you were going to say Maggie, because the three I wrote down was Maggie, Gowan and Aaron. Maggie was on my list as well. But I, I've, I, I've not, I don't think I've picked Mercer before, so I'm going with Mercer this time around. And then my death is really tough. I'm going to go for Aaron as my death. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I predicted him to survive till the end of the show. So I want to pick one of the big characters because you've both picked minor ones and we'll have to pick another big one now anyway. So, Neil, you get to pick your second death next. I will choose Lydia. Um, my second death, then, I'm going to pick my old uh, Trooper Green, Rosita's partner from three episodes ago. I think that's a good shout, right? We saw. A trooper covered in blood walking through for their point, their POV was probably a walker. So it makes sense that it could be green. I don't know. Part of me thinks so in the trailer, when we see that trooper zombie, there is just so many zombies there. And I wonder, is that somewhere outside of the Commonwealth or is it inside the Commonwealth? And if it's inside the Commonwealth, think I want to go for Z, but I think there's so much going on that they won't have Zeke die. So I'm going to take that off. And I think it's going to have to be someone inside the building. I'm going to have to double dip on inside the building. You've chosen Aaron, haven't you, Adam? So that is something I cannot pick. Um, so for me, it has to be between Elijah and Lydia. And you've gone for Lydia, haven't you, Neil? So to make it interesting, even though I think he'll actually survive, I'm going to go for Elijah. I mean, there's so many characters and adding more every week, it Surely they're not going to all survive through to the end of episode 16. Anyway. Well, this is probably a good point to raise that they've now announced a spin-off with Maggie and Negan. And from memory, I think my prediction for who's going to survive is Negan. Does that affect that? I'm, I'm very happy to talk about it, but that suggests that he does. Well, and what about your choice of Maggie as well, Neil? Well, there we go. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I had no idea there was a spinoff at the time. So clearly I made very good choices. But is it fair this far in advance because we still got part C to go for potentially for me to have already made the predictions. 
Well, I think you made them in good faith and they were on the table for you to predict at the time. So we might find out that there's going to be an Aaron and Jerry spin-off as well happening. So I have no issue with you keeping those predictions and a potential 30-point head start going into 11C. Yeah, no problem. I think it was a fair shout at the time, so it would be poor form to question it now. I just wanted to make sure we were all clear on that. What's our thoughts on a Maggie and Negan spin-off? We've all read an article, I know, that that suggests there's going to be a romance there. That is certainly interesting, but there has been sexual tension more from Negan than from Maggie. But what do we think about that? Yeah, it's called the Isle of the Dead, isn't it? And it's in New York, so... The Island of Manhattan. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I I don't know that these Rick Grimes movies are ever going to happen now. Mm. We know that Tales of the Walking Dead is happening. And another casting announcement for that was that Jesse T. Usher, who plays A-Train in The Boys, he's going to be appearing in Tales of the Walking Dead. So that is pretty much definitely going to be happening. Yeah. As for the Carol and Daryl and the Maggie and Negan one, we'll wait and see. Fear of the Walking Dead's also been renewed for an eighth season. It's starting to become a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Well, the, the thing that I liked about it is that I think they said it's only going to be five episodes. And if they just keep it at that, fine. But, I mean, how many spin-offs are there? It's just ridiculous. You, It's milking it too hard, I think. So you have to say, all right, enough is enough. There is such a thing as diminishing returns. I mean, certainly so far, Fear of the Walking Dead, I've thoroughly enjoyed as a spin-off series to The Walking Dead. The other one, The Walking Dead, The World Beyond, started well, but really, really wasn't great. So for me, it just depends on on what the storytelling's like. And I, I can certainly stomach more of the universe, but I, I would want the stories to be told well. I watched the first, I'm nearly finished actually watching Our House, which was the Martin Compton show I talked about last week. It's on ITV. It's four episodes. I have enjoyed it. The basic setup is it's a, a married couple who are going through some difficulties. The wife comes home to find other people moving into her house. All of her belongings have been moved out. It appears that they have purchased her house without her knowledge. And the plot goes on from there. Tuppence Middleton and Steve Arnott, uh, Martin Compton rather, are the couple involved. And they both do a really, really good job. There's a good supporting cast. And there's some really good cliffhangers at the end of the episode. End of each episode has got a really, really good cliffhanger, particularly episodes one and three. It was absolutely right for this, I think, to be a four episode show. It didn't need to be any longer than that. And I think if they tried to stretch it out, it would have suffered a bit. But yeah, I've enjoyed our house and can recommend. You mentioned the Obi-Wan trailer, Neil. So I'm really excited about the Chief Inquisitor being part of it. I'm really excited. Well, obviously, with you, McGregor, etc. I'm pretty certain we're going to get Darth Maul at some point. And also, it's said very clearly on the trailer, this limited series which suggests to me that it's just going to be one series. It's not going to be an ongoing thing. The the footage that I've seen in the trailer really makes me think of Rogue One um, and that kind of gritty feel that it has. I'm loving that they're introducing into the, I guess, the filmic universe a lot of villains and characters from the animated series. It's the early days of the Empire, isn't it? So um, there was one shot of Indira Varma as as an Imperial officer, which I thought was very exciting. And it feels like the 
right, from, certainly from the, what the trailer suggests is that the story is going to be them trying to find Obi-Wan Kenobi because he's gone in, into hiding, obviously, on, on Tatooine. And what I also surprisingly actually loved from that trailer is they didn't reveal Darth Vader. And we know the Hayden Christians um, reprising his role as Darth Vader very exciting. Obviously, it wasn't the only trailer that we saw this week. We've got the Better Call Saul trailer. Yeah, I loved it, and I still need time to watch it many more times to get an idea as to uh, what I'm expecting. But also, the trailer did make it very clear, as we knew anyway, that this is the last series within this box set. And oh, honestly, I just cannot wait so i've only seen the trailer about one once or twice and it's because i am trying my hardest not to fall down the rabbit hole yet so it's too far away but my timeline has just been full of people breaking it down scene by scene comparing it to trailers for previous series and all the nods and winks backwards and forwards between that and breaking bad and I'm just trying to stay out of that for now. But what's really interesting is that just before we came on to record, I saw an interview with Bob and he said that this final series, there is a significant level of, of meshing between Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. He said there's going to be loads of it. So I'm quite excited as to how that's going to happen, as long as it's not lame. I think emotionally, we're very much on a Jimmy and Kim focus. Honestly, I cannot wait to find out Kim's fate. Why she didn't appear as a character in Breaking Bad. The most interesting thing from the trailer for me was the line that Mike says of, this isn't going to end how you think it will. Yeah. Uh, obviously a line to a character in the show, but almost felt like it was a line to the audience as well. I am very much tempted to start a rewatch of both of them, I think, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I don't know whether I've got time to do that before the show. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll rewatch Better Call Saul first and then see if I've got time to do Breaking Bad. I think you'd only need to really watch the first series in a bit of Breaking Bad because that's when we see Saul, right? And I think in series two. So you wouldn't have to do all of it. But yeah, I was just thinking minimum season five rewatch for me. I wonder whether Kim has a... Bonnie, Clyde, Sundance, Butch Cassidy, Thelma, Louise, ending to her story. My prediction is very much that she dies and she does We all do, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not convinced. Like Just because she doesn't appear in Breaking Bad doesn't mean that she doesn't exist. I don't think that they can justify her not being around or mentioned within Jimmy's life unless something massive happened. And I agree, it could be that she moved and she left and, you know, there was a huge breakup of some kind within their relationship as friends as well as as lovers. But I'd put money on she's going to die in a really dramatic, significant way. Now, I think everything you've said is, is very interesting. The other thing that I'm just remembering now... But it just adds always why I think Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad is those black and white vignettes. We're finally going to find out 
what the fuck happens? And what if the end of that final vignette, there she is? Oh, I like that. Ah, I really like that, Damo. Yeah, absolutely. We're definitely going to do a Better Call Saul preview episode before it lands. So we'll definitely be talking about this more in the future. One other trailer that I want to mention, I only saw it briefly before we started recording, came out today is the Miss Marvel trailer and the new Marvel Cinematic Universe show. I don't know if there's a release date for that yet, but there is a release date for Peacemaker. This is a much lauded show that's been released in the state for quite some time. It's coming to Sky and Now TV on Tuesday, the 22nd of March. And it's a spin-off from The Suicide Squad, created by James Gunn. So John Cena reprises his role as he joins a black ops squad known as Project Butterfly. The show apparently broke HBO Max records and has been really well received over in the States. So it's quite a big deal, probably made more of a big deal by the fact that it's been delayed. Speaking of delays in coming over here, we're finally getting Emmy Award-nominated comedy Hacks. It's coming to Prime Video, of all places, on the 1st of April. But Gene Smart won an Emmy for this show, and we've definitely been looking forward to being able to see it. The blurb for this goes, A dark mentorship forms between Deborah Vance, a legendary Las Vegas comic, and an entitled outcast 25-year-old comedy writer. So that's Hacks, finally coming soon. Prime Video on the 1st of April. I was just going to say it's ironic that uh, there was a show with John Cena that we couldn't see. And that is for the three people who probably like wrestling. Because John Cena's character infamously went, you can't see me. <laughs> and if you have to explain the joke, it wasn't a good joke. Right. Sorry, Adam. I did know that he was a formerly a wrestler, but I, I, didn't, I didn't know much about his wrestling persona. I think he's also fluent in Mandarin, famously. Well, that depends on your definition of famously. If, if you know anything about him, there, there's lots of stuff about him saying stuff in perfect Mandarin. And I think he had to go and do an, an apology interview for saying something about Taiwan. And he said it in perfect Mandarin. I'll all get edited out. I was going to say, you're absolutely right, Adam. I'm very excited about being able to finally see Hacks. And if any of you guys are excited about seeing Hacks or anything else that we've been talking about, you can get us on the socials at TVDNAPod on Facebook. No, not on Facebook. It's on Instagram and Twitter. For Facebook, remember, you have to put TV Space DNA in the search bar or TV DNA in Google will find us there too. Also, quick plug for my other podcast. The Theatre I Run has launched its own podcast this week. It's called Space Chats, currently only available on the Spotify, but we'll pop a link into the description of this podcast. So if you want to hear more of me talking, well, it's not so much of me talking, more of me asking questions of uh, some wonderful theatre makers, then check out Space Chats. Until the dead rise again and rub whiskey on their lips, we've been TV DNA. Thanks very much, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. When it comes to the zombie apocalypse, like the Friends theme tune, I'll be there for you. Thanks all. Well, until the... Uh, I'm going until the dead. Until the dead rise and rub whiskey on their lips. Do it, do it properly then and see us out. No, you do it. It's your, it's your bit. <laughs>